Thanks for joining us on Transportation Radio. My name is Bernie Wagenblast. Perhaps no state in the union is as associated with transportation as Michigan. For decades, Detroit has been known as the Motor City. While the automobile industry has gone through some dramatic changes in recent decades, Michigan is reinventing itself as a home for high-tech transportation. Of course, vehicles are just one piece of the bigger transportation picture in the Wolverine State. Today, I'm excited to welcome Kirk Steidel, the Director of the Michigan Department of Transportation, as we continue our series Profiling State DOTs. Director Steidel, welcome to Transportation Radio. Well, hello, Bernie. It's great to be with you. As I noted there in the opening, cars are just one piece of MDOT's many responsibilities. If you would, give us an overview, please, of Michigan DOT. Sure. You know, when the people of the state of Michigan look at transport networks, and and we think of it very broadly as how people and goods move around the state, clearly the biggest uh, and most visible asset is roads and bridges. And that's by far how most of the freight moves, by how most of the people move. But there's also other assets that are equally as important. So there's transit. Uh, we have 79 different transit agencies in the state. There's 83 counties in, in uh, Michigan, and, and uh, every county, both rural and very heavy urban, have some form of public transit. Some of them may be in the form of a dial-a-ride service. Some of it may be regular scheduled service like you'd see in a big urban area. Uh, and then we have uh, railroads. We have a lot of freight rail lines. We have passenger rail the state actually owns about 600 miles of rail lines that we've got to maintain and keep uh, running and keep operational so that the short line rail lines can run on top of those and connect the agricultural community to the class uh, one rail lines that are in uh, southeast Michigan that are running across some of their rail lines as well. So there's a, a very large rail component uh, as well. And then we have aeronautics. Uh, Aeronautics uh, has uh, the uh, overview or the supervision of uh, the 240 airports, general purpose airports that are in the state of Michigan. Now, those aren't all commercial airports that you think of Detroit Metro or Grand Rapids or Lansing. These are smaller airports, but an airport that requires some kind of oversight or guidance uh, nonetheless. So that group deals with them, and they also maintain all those navigational aids that are spread across the state as well. And then probably one of the pieces that one of the pieces that that is forgotten a lot is marine traffic or freighters and and shipping. So we don't have a statewide port authority and all of the ports in Michigan are actually privately owned. There is a connection between the Department of Transportation and the Detroit Wayne County Port Authority to help port developments in and around Detroit. But there's a larger connection for an asset that isn't even really a state of Michigan asset. It is actually owned by the Corps of Engineers, and that's the lock system at the Sioux Lock. So Sioux St. Marie, which is the connection between Michigan's upper peninsula of Sioux St. Marie, Michigan, and Sioux St. Marie, Ontario. There's an international bridge that goes across. There's a railroad crossing. And underneath that is a river that connects Lake Superior to Lake Huron, Lake Michigan, and through that river is a lock system that carries up to 1,000-foot uh, freighters. Those 1,000-foot freighters will carry everything from coal that are going to uh, energy facilities in the lower lakes. It will also include the taconite. Taconite is 
uh, mined in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and it is then sent by freighter to the steel mills that are in the southern parts of the state, So, and, and those are all along the Great Lakes. So whether it's all the way over to Pennsylvania, uh, back into uh, Illinois, and even Wisconsin as well, whatever steel mills are there, that taconite goes through the Sioux locks and ends up uh, in one of those steel mills, and they're very uh, particular. Uh, a specific mine is set very specifically for a specific mill, so you can't take material from one mine and send it to another mill. Uh, it, 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 the chemistry doesn't work that way. So that's another very important piece of our transport network here in Michigan that while it's not directly under the Department of Transportation's control, it's not one of our assets that actually belongs to the the Corps of Engineers, it actually is extremely important to our state's economy and larger to the whole Midwest economy as well. One of the areas Michigan has been a leader in is research with automated and connected vehicles. And it's not just MDOT alone that's been a leader in that area, but working in cooperation with universities in the private sector. Tell us a bit of an update on what's happening on that front, please. The connected and automated vehicle space is really something that we've been we've been pushing for a long time. As you noted in the beginning, Michigan's very well known for our connection to the automobile industry, and and if you look at the industry that's here, there's 75 percent of the auto companies' research and development uh, supply chain or their companies are in Southeast Michigan. That's 376 companies that are doing research and development in, in the automobile space. Uh, so a lot of the conversation that's happening around connected automated vehicles is actually happening here in Michigan. Now there's some, some outreach to some other states that uh, you know you hear about quite a bit. Certainly Silicon Valley, where there's software engineers, but in the end that software has to get put into a car. You need a manufacturer engineer to mass produce this most complex consumer product on the face of the earth. So we've been working very closely with the auto industry to, to help nurture that research along. Because in the end, we know, uh, and, and the studies have proven, that an automated vehicle uh, and a connected vehicle that provides information to the, the driver or to the car system itself has the potential to reduce 80% of the crashes, and thereby reducing 80% of the fatalities that happen on uh, the nation's roadways. So from a safety perspective, the Department of Transportation in, in Michigan is very involved from that safety aspect. But there's also the economic development aspect that these companies are here, they're in southeast Michigan, and we really looked and said we need to help move this along and figure out how do we assist them as they go forward. So we've been working very closely with them for a number of years. And we roll these private companies together, and we look at their assets, and then we, we look at the public assets that we have along the roadways of, of initially we had 125 miles targeted of smart corridors, of, of freeway corridors in southeast Michigan. That number is actually growing to over 300. And then you add in the test facilities that we've developed uh, collaboratively with the university and the public agency, so M-City at the University of Michigan was a collaboration between the state of Michigan and particularly MDOT and the University of Michigan. And then the new one that's coming online is uh, the American Center for Mobility, which while M-City is about 30 acres, American Center for Mobility is 330 acres. Uh, and uh, it will be more of a validation testing site. M-City is more research and connected to the engineering side. 
And then you add on top of that the governance structure. So in 2016, the legislature passed, the governor signed the most comprehensive progressive laws for uh, automated vehicle operations anywhere in the country. So automated vehicles are allowed to operate, not just test, operate on any road in Michigan, anytime, anywhere, no special driver's license, no special license plate on the back. Truck platooning is allowed after they submit a plan. Uh, and so truck platooning isn't in a testing phase anymore. It's in an operational phase. On-demand automated networks are allowed, so the driverless Lyfts and driverless Ubers are allowed to operate in Michigan. doesn't matter if you're a manufacturer or you're a tech company. There's provisions within the bills that allow both of them to go forward. So we could see all of that happening and very clear governance that says, yes, this is okay to do this. Uh, the bills also included a, uh, the creation of the Council on Future Mobility, which has the direct responsibility to report back to the legislature and the governor annually about barriers and things that need to change within state government to allow the technology to move forward. We've asked that group to dive into four particular issues to start with. One, cybersecurity issues that need to be dealt with, insurance issues, liability issues like product liability issues, and then the, how do we use this technology to advance mobility for the disabled community as well. So there's a lot going on. You take all those pieces together, and that's the ecosystem that we call Planet M here in Michigan. A lot of the other places around the country where they've been doing testing of automated and connected vehicles have been uh, places known for their sunny climates, California, Nevada, Arizona, for example. Michigan, of course, uh, not always sunny, especially in the winter when you have snow. Has that uh, been helpful in terms of being able to test these kinds of vehicles and systems in climate conditions that aren't always necessarily sunny and warm? If you ultimately want to sell a vehicle that uh, can be used ubiquitously across the country, it is going to have to operate in areas that are not sunny and clear all the time. There's going to be rainy, wet days and nights where the glare is quite strong. There's going to be overcast days. There's going to be snow. There's going to be uh, roads covered with snow, so the paint lines are completely obscured. There's going to be fog. Uh, there's going to be gravel roads that don't have paint lines. Uh, in fact, in Michigan, 50% of the roads do not have a paint line because they're gravel. They're, they're county roads that are wandering through the rural parts of Michigan. And if you're designing a vehicle that only operates on a paved road with a paint line, it's not going to operate. You're not going to be able to sell many of those. So we've actually said our four seasons are actually an advantage because you can test the LiDAR systems in a snowstorm and see how they respond because they're going to have to. In the real world, they're going to have to work in that place. You can't say, well, this vehicle only operates on sunny days because, you know, unless you're in of just a few places in the country, it's not going to, you're not going to be able to sell lots and lots of those cars. So we certainly view that as an advantage. One of the pieces that I think gets missed, and, and I'm going to credit uh, Dr. Paul Rogers from, from TARDEC, which is the U.S. Army research arm, uh, he's, he's come up with a term called there's a structured environment and an unstructured environment. And what, what you just described in the beginning about the sunny uh, you know, blue sky area, that's a structured environment that you know all the rules of the road, the vehicle knows how to, how to respond. We have that most days. 
But last winter, middle of January, there's a great picture. That one day there's a picture of Interstate 75 that looks very structured. The next day there's a snowstorm, and this is a three-lane each-direction highway. The, the second day there's a snowstorm. Those three lanes are taken up with two lanes because the first people down the road didn't know where the paint lines were because they couldn't see them. They created the two tracks. So if your car is depending upon a GPS that says, I need to be between those two paint lines, it's, you better have big tires and four-wheel drive because you're going to be out of the traffic ruts of where traffic is actually moving. And he refers to that as the unstructured environment when the vehicle is going to have to operate in an unstructured environment. And, and you can just imagine from the U.S. Army's perspective, most of what they do is in an unstructured environment. So we're doing the research with them as well about how do we handle the unstructured environment, and we think Michigan gives a great opportunity for unstructured environments. Usually when I'm doing these interviews, I don't give a lot of biographical information about the people I'm talking with. But in your case, I think there are some things I'd like to point out. First, your leadership role in several national transportation organizations, including being president of AASHTO, the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials, chairman of the Transportation Research Board's Executive Committee, and also chair of the ITS America Board of Directors. How has that national role shaped your view running MDOT? That's a great question, and, and we should note they weren't all at the same time. There was some overlap of a couple, but, but I can tell you what it's provided for Michigan, and particularly the people in the state of Michigan and the employees here, is that I can help bring uh, a nationwide view of issues that are going on in other states, issues that maybe we haven't confronted or maybe we don't have the opportunity to, uh, that are happening in other places, we can say, well, maybe we can take the technology they're using on, you know, whatever system they're working on in some other state. Maybe we can take that technology and adapt it to a problem we're having in, in another part in Michigan. And, and uh, so that exposure has been really helpful for helping us to push the innovation side and to encourage our employees to, to really innovate and to think about how we can use different processes and, and innovative processes to do things better, faster, cheaper, smarter, and safer. Another item that I'd like to point out is last year you were inducted into the ITS Hall of Fame. ITS plays a big role in Michigan's transportation scene beyond automated and connected vehicles. Tell us a bit about what's happening in Michigan with ITS, please. Well, like most big urban areas and urban states, we have uh, traffic management operations in, uh, in our case, in Metro Detroit, but we also have it uh, in Grand Rapids, and we have a statewide operations here in Lansing, uh, and we're communicating information to the drivers uh, real-time in multiple ways. Uh, one, through, obviously, the dynamic message boards that everybody sees along the side of the road. Two, Twitter, Facebook, the 911 system, so we're we're operating that system in, in a way that we, we use technology to provide information to the driver so that they can make informed decisions. Now, we've also taken that further, and we've got uh, agreements in place with uh, a, a number of other private companies that collect data and share data. Uh, and then we, we also host our own, we call it MyDrive, which is a, a site with real-time travel information on it that, frankly, was out there before some of the other commercially available ones were out there. Uh, and it was, it was to show, yes, we can do this, and, and yes, we can adapt to it. Now, we also take it a step further in the traffic signal operations. And people, you know, 
if you're in the know and you know transportation, there's a lot of opportunity in traffic signals to advance technology uh, and, and really use uh, all of that technology to its fullest potential. And in some cases, we have just dumb traffic signals that just sit there day after day and flash red, yellow, green. We're taking those opportunities in the urban areas where we've got a really robust uh, backbone of fiber optic network to, to really push the envelope on what the traffic signals can do. And, and this bleeds over into our, our whole deployment of automated and connected vehicle infrastructure in, in our cooperation and working with the, with the big auto companies. And we're looking at the intersections around their big facilities to adapt those traffic signals with traditional ITS uh, information and infrastructure, but also with a view towards the future, that, that we put something in place that allows us to be flexible as these new vehicles come along. So there's, there's a whole bunch of the, the normal, consistent ITS uh, hardware and, and technologies out there, uh, and then there it's, it's blending with the ITS research as that moves more to deployment and out of research. Running an agency as big as MDOT in a state as big as Michigan, there are also, I'm sure, a number of challenges. What are some of the, the biggest challenges you face both in the short term and in the long term? You know, I think I probably have the same challenge that uh, most of my colleagues around the country has, and, and, and uh, you know, we have old infrastructure. And most of what we're talking about here is, is roads and bridges because that's where most of our, our funds go but we have a system that largely was created by a generation before us that we're trying to hold together, maintain, modernize, and prepare us for the future with funds that are insufficient to be able to, to meet those needs. So we're having to make those trade-offs as to what, what do I rebuild today that actually is, is just you know, rebuilding 1990 all over again or maybe even 1970 all over again, and then which of these pieces should be rebuilt for, you know, 2020 and 2030? Uh, so it's that balance, and, and how do we invest the money that we have as wisely as possible for the greatest good for the taxpayer? I think that's the number one challenge is, is how do we use our asset management system to make sure that we're spending, uh, you know, putting the right repair at the right, right time in the right place? That's probably number one, is, is really balancing that. You know, you know, you mentioned Michigan actually is a very large state. You add the two peninsulas together. The far western edge of the Upper Peninsula is further west than St. Louis, and you wouldn't think that when you're looking at a map. You think of Michigan, it must be Detroit. Well, from Detroit to that far western edge is about 600 miles, and it's a separate time zone. So it's, it is geographically challenging as well, and it's very diverse. People think of Michigan, they think of Detroit, it's all urban. Actually, about 75% of the state is very, very rural. So we have the same challenges that rural states have. We have challenges that urban states have as well. And it's that balance. So how do you make this whole network fit together? Finally, I, I want to talk a little bit about you, uh, your background. Was transportation something you were always interested in? How did you get involved in the field, and how did you get to the point you are at now? You know, that's a, that's a great question. I had somebody ask me that about six months ago, and I really uh, uh, scratched my head and really thought about it. And actually, there's a picture of me, uh, very, very young, probably less than four or five years old, uh, at um, a cottage in northern Michigan that uh, had a sandy driveway. And there's a picture of me out there building little 
uh, roads and bridges through the sand in the driveway. Uh, I mean, finding little reeds or something to build the bridges over. Uh, I had this little egg mixer to stir up the sand. I didn't know what I was doing, but it was certainly seemed like you better mix up the sand a little bit better. So I, I was told, I don't remember doing this, right, but I was told that, uh, you know, at a very early age, I was out building roads and bridges and figuring how to network in this big driveway was all going to work. Uh, and then, you know, as a little kid, there's, you know, there's, there's all the toys that come along, right, trains and, and uh, Lincoln Logs and all of those, uh, those uh, toys from the, the 60s and 70s. Uh, and I, I got into this in you know, high school, college, and said, yeah, you know what, I think this is what I really want to do. In fact, I distinctly remember working as a college student for a city uh, in, in Michigan, and I looked at that city engineer, and it was after that three-month time frame I said, that's the job I want. I want to work in government. I want to be able to make a difference about how, in, in the city's case, about how the city was able to move around and it ultimately led me to uh, a career with the Michigan Department of Transportation now 30 years ago, so where I started here as an engineer trainee. And uh, here I am 30 years later, and, and I'm going on my 12th year as director. So um, never in my wildest dreams would I have ever thought that, that uh, I would ever get to be director, let alone be one of the longest-serving directors in Michigan. Well, Kirk, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We've been doing an interview with... Kirk Settle, the director of Michigan DOT. And again, thanks uh, for taking the time to tell us a bit about MDOT. Great. Well, thanks, Bernie.